All right, time for some true confessions. How many of you have had, sometime in the past, really, really freaky dreams? Let me see your hands. <laughs> Everybody's hand goes up. You guys are awesome. Thank you. I was getting nervous for a minute there. What is that all about, right? I mean, here's the best I can figure about it, is our brain goes into neutral when we go to sleep. And it just starts firing off random crazy thoughts. I mean, people are very creative. People make movies and art and poems and songs. And we can think about all sorts of amazing things when we try. Imagine just taking that brain and putting it into idle. It just goes and bizarre and weird things can happen. And, you know, if you had something bad for dinner and you're feeling funny. Ugh, I had this thing going on for the longest time. I don't know if it was when the air conditioner flipped on. Or if I just turned over and a couple of the hairs on my face would, you know, they were all pillow flattened and then they'd pop up. But I, subconscious, because it took me a long time to figure it out, I thought there were bugs on my face. Subconsciously. So I was having these dreams, these recurring dreams of just being covered in bugs and freaking me out and waking up every day going, I hate going to sleep. And then, you know, there's these people who try to analyze your dreams. You know, oh, you must be dreaming about, are you feeling overwhelmed in life right now? It's like, it's just a dream. Maybe, maybe some dreams really are. You're, you're stressed out. You're thinking about things. And then some people, of course, will try to give spiritual significance to, to your dreams. Now, that's, the, you got to be careful. The way I read the Bible, there's two kinds of dreams. There may be more, but all I can tell you about is what I know from the Bible. There's the kind God sends... And there's the kind that we just have. They have nothing to do with God whatsoever. If you're trying to interpret your own dreams as if God sent them, that's a recipe for confusion. So, Steve, how do I know if God sent it? Don't worry about it. If God sent it, he's got a plan. He'll reveal it. You don't have to worry about it. If you've got to chase after it, he didn't send it. Things in the Bible, when people had dreams sent by God, they knew it and everybody around them knew it. And I can only think of and there might be some exceptions, but I can't think of them offhand, kings and prophets whose dreams impacted nations in history. Rarely does he, at least not in the Bible, send somebody a dream just for you personally, for your benefit. He usually works miraculously on bigger scales than that. The reason I'm talking to you about dreams is because, if you remember, Daniel got to interpret some dreams for the kings. He, he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream and then Belshazzar's vision. And now we're going back in time. After Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but before Belshazzar's vision, Daniel had a dream of his own, and it was freaky. But I guess he just knew this vision-slash-dream came from God. And then he wrote it down, and now we have it. So I'm going to read to you one of Daniel's freaky dreams. And this isn't his own. This one came from God. And I'll give you the best I can with the interpretation. Now, the Bible has in it, it has history, which is just narrative. Joe and so-and-so walked down the street, met so-and-so, they got married, had three kids, and they became this dynasty. Just straight-up history. It's got poetry and prose. It's got metaphor and parable and allegory. The Bible, some parts are very easy to understand. Just straight up. You read it, you get it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, I understand that. In the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Okay, I understand that. But some of it is like, wow, I have no idea what this brother's talking about. Wait till we get to Ezekiel. Before I was a believer, I was on a God quest. 
And on my God quest, I started reading the Bible to find if I believed in God or not, if there was a God or not. And I made it to Ezekiel. And when I got to Ezekiel, I said, okay, that's it. I'm done. I've read most of the book, and I have no idea what this man's talking about. So we'll be there in a few weeks. Don't know much better than I did then. <laughs> but a little bit. So let's bust into Daniel's dream, Daniel chapter 7. We're going to look at the dream, and then I'm going to break it up into understandable pieces. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream. And visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, and I quote, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, heaven churning up the great sea, the great sea, uh, the Mediterranean. So basically, Daniel's saying, I was looking out over the ocean, and there was a hurricane. Ish, in modern lingo. So you, big tumultuous, tempestuous dream, energy, power. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. So there's thunder, lightning, wind probably, and these four huge animals come out of the ocean. How huge? I don't know. Were they like big as mountains? He just says they were huge, and he's looking out over the ocean, so I can't imagine, you know, a five-foot animal stepping out of the sea. It's probably a vision of like Godzilla, this huge beast coming out of the sea. Four beasts came out of the sea. The first was like a lion. Stop. Like a lion. He didn't say it was a lion. You've got to pay close attention when you read certain portions of Scripture. Hey, it happens in, in, in life, too. And somebody says, yeah, I'll be there around 5 o'clock. And they don't show up to 5.15, and you're like, ah, you said 5 o'clock. I didn't say 5 o'clock. I said around 5 o'clock. Sometimes the devil's in the details. Sometimes you've got to pay attention to the details. So, the first was like a lion. How do I know it was like a lion? Because Daniel said so. So, I know what a lion looks like. What's like a lion look like? I don't know, but he goes on and gives more details about this creature. It had the wings of an eagle. Okay, now I know it's not a lion. A griffin? That's kind of like an eagle wingy thing. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man. And the heart of a man was given to it. So this first monster that comes out of the ocean has the attributes of a lion, an eagle, and a man. What does that mean later? Let me continue with the dream. There before me, a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. Man, this is even worse than the bug's dreams. This is freaky. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. But on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird, and this beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And after that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying, frightening, and very powerful. The lion with the wings wasn't terrifying and frightening. The bear with the teeth, with the bones in its mouth. The four-headed leopard, he could even deal with that. This beast was unlike any others. And you notice, he doesn't even say it was like an animal. He just says it, it, it had iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. Godzilla. 
It was different from the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Now, in the picture I'm showing you, this artist makes it a dragon, which that's very creative, and I understand why. But Daniel doesn't make it a dragon. He just says it has iron teeth, and it's very frightening. So you, I found some, you know, I Google for pictures like this. I found some really freaky-looking creatures when I looked for Google. The worst one I didn't bring to you, but it was like this. I don't know, imagine a giant frog-shaped hamster with a mouth this big and razor-pointed teeth and eyes all over its head. I almost went with that one. I didn't want to give you all nightmares. While I was thinking about the horns, okay, so he's got ten horns on his head. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them. And three of the first horns were uprooted before it. So he's watching this freaky, terrifying monster... It's got ten horns, and he's looking at the horns, and all of a sudden another horn pops up, and three of the horns drop out of its head. It's like, ooh. And then, check this out. The horn had eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. A horn with eyes and a mouth. You think you've had freaky dreams? <laughs> this is a dream to end all dreams. And as I looked, and as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. So obviously his vision has gone from the Mediterranean to these freaky monsters up to heaven. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. Its wheels? The throne had wheels? Yes, it did. That makes no sense to us in our culture today. But back in those days it made more sense because they had portable thrones. And when we get to the freakiest of them all visions in Ezekiel chapter 1, these wheels are featured. That's what the whole chapter is about. Very interesting. So in my vision at night I looked, and there before me, I'm now in verse 13, there before me was one like a son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power all peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that shall not pass away. And his kingdom was one that will never be destroyed. And then I woke up. <laughs> All right, Steve, what are we going to do with that dream? I'm going to be the first to tell you, I don't understand all the Bible. You realize... When you read through, like, history, it's straightforward. Parables, a little more confusing. Prophecy, even more confusing. Visions, most confusing. In fact, some prophecy you can understand without help. But much of it you need help from the other parts of the Bible to make it fit together. And usually it only makes sense in retrospect. Since we have 2,000 years, 3,000 years of history, we can look back and get the prophecy. How do you understand a vision? You can't. Unless God reveals the meaning of the vision... It makes no sense whatsoever. So, I got some good news and I got some news. It's not bad news. I can tell you the overall meaning of this vision. I know what it means. The big picture. But obviously, Daniel spent some time in the details. I can't tell you what all the details mean. I'll give you my thought based on some commentaries I read on what some of the details mean. Other details, I'm just, I don't know. I don't have a clue. Nobody has a clue. It's all good. Here's what the vision definitely means. The four creatures that came out of the water, they represent four empires. This I definitely know. And then 
at the end where the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man got together and the kingdom will last forever and ever, that means, like Jesus said, the meek will inherit the earth. The end result is these empires will be done away with, God's empire will last forever and ever, and his people will rule and reign. That's what the vision meant. That's what we know for sure. The rest is guesswork. Steve, how do you know that for sure? I'll tell you how I know it for sure, because Daniel told me. And not in a vision or a dream. In verse 17 and 18, here's what he said. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So I know exactly what the vision's about. But I'm interested in the details too. They were written in there for a reason. I'll get some of them. Future generations will probably get some more. Now, I'm very confident that these four kingdoms are Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Why do I think that? Because Daniel already inter interpreted a vision back in chapter 2 with four kingdoms for Nebuchadnezzar, and those were the four kingdoms, if you recall. And the parallels and the similarities are such that almost every, everything I read agreed with at least two or three of those kingdoms lining up. And the only ones that didn't were those stretching for something other than the divine, and I usually discount those kind of people anyway. So I'm very confident, though not certain, that the four kingdoms represent Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. Rome. See the statue up there? You got Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. But there's some feet down there that are also Rome, but it's a different part of the statue. There's something in the Bible about Rome being revived and being part of this empire with ten kings, ten toes. How many horns are on the beast? Ten. So I think the Rome part is both ancient Rome and future Rome, the one that ties to Daniel chapter 2. We'll look more at that next week. Let's start with the first beast. Kingdom number one, Babylon. Each different from the other, I'm in verse 4. The first eagle, the first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. Why does a lion stand for Babylon? Well, when I think of a lion, I think of the preeminent of the beasts. It's the most majestic, stately, ferocious, and powerful of all the animals. It's the one that's to be feared the most. It's also the one to be admired the most. Babylon was the preeminent kingdom of all kingdoms. It was majestic. It was ancient. One of the earliest stories in the Bible is about the founding of Babylon. How many of you have ever heard of the Tower of Babylon? Right. It's the Tower of Babel in Babylon. So it's one of the oldest civilizations on the planet. And here it is. Thousands of years later, and Daniel's talking about it. Here we are, and we've got soldiers over there today. This is an empire that's not going away anytime soon. So he's talking about the majestic Babylon. Not only that, but let me show you a picture. That's a picture of a winged lion. Winged lions guarded the gates to the royal palace of Babylon. This is a, a, a picture of when they rebuilt the gates for tourists and archaeological purposes. They redid the, the gates, and this is what one of the lions looks like. In fact, if you go back to ancient Babylon, even Google it, you'll see a bunch of creatures with wings like an animal, lions like a body, and heads like a man. 
So these, I, the idea of, like, it said, you know, his wings were plucked off and he stood on his feet like a man. And the heart of a man was given to it. The idea of a human-animal hybrid, though bizarre, is not unfamiliar. And so God's using that concept to communicate. The lion was given the heart of a man. That makes me think of Babylon's preeminent, at least at this time, ruler. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he got all arrogant and up in God's face. And so God gave him the mind of an animal. For seven years, he ate grass like an ox and lived outdoors. He went mad for seven years because he challenged God and said, Hey, I made Babylon, you didn't. Paraphrasing. And God said, Oh, really? You think you're king because of your own might and power? Watch this. He dethroned him, Mui Pronto, for seven years. And then God restored his sanity and said, Now, what, what were you saying? Well, what I meant to say, God, is you're king. You're in charge and you give the kingdoms to whoever you want. Well done, Nebuchadnezzar. You can have your throne back. So when it says the lion was given the heart of a man, I think it's a throw to Nebuchadnezzar. Why does it have wings? Don't know. What do the wings stand for? Don't know. Um, I saw some allusions to idolatry in some of the commentaries, but their arguments were kind of weak. Somebody said, well, wait a minute. The lion is the king of the beasts and the eagle is the king of the air. So it's just more majesty. Okay. I don't know. We go on to beast number two. The next kingdom after Babylonians were the Medio Persian Empire. Daniel 7 5. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides. Well, the picture I got for you, it's just standing up. But what does that mean? It was raised up on one of its sides. The commentaries I read, nobody understood what that meant. Was it like lounging, having dinner? Maybe that's what it meant. He was just getting ready to get up from a repast and he had food in his mouth. I don't know. I don't know. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up, eat your fill of flesh. Yowzer. So it was told to go and devour. The lion is the most fearful predator in the Middle East, probably anywhere on the planet, really. What was second? The bear. In the Middle East... And here, too. I've watched these, these shows about people who live in Alaska. Man, they don't go anywhere without at least two firearms if they're in bear country. Big firearms! You realize these bears can get up over 1,000 pounds of charging muscle fatty meanness? And they kill people. Bears are ferocious. Okay, lions are more ferocious, but bears, man. Lions will hunt you down because they want to eat you. Bears would just smack you upside the head because you're in their territory. So I would put bears second to lions in ferocious, but they're not majestic. Nobody looks at a bear and goes, wow, look at the maj that majestic beast. They're second, second tier. And even though Media Persia took over Babylon, they never had the same level of majesty that Babylon had. But believe it or not, Babylon was huge. Media Persia made it even bigger. It devoured much flesh. It made this kingdom even larger than it was. Why three ribs? I don't know. But Babylon, Media, Persia, maybe that's it right there. Maybe it was because the Media Persians also took over the Lydians and the Egyptians, which the Babylonians didn't have. Don't know. Those are some good guesses. We'll just have to leave it at that. <coughs> Pardon me. Beast number three. Daniel 7, verse 6. After that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back it had four wings, like those of a bird. 
This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. Babylon was replaced by the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were defeated by the Greeks. Alexander the Great conquered territory faster than probably any other emperor in human history. He was amazing. His empire stretched from Greece to India to Europe to Egypt. I mean, he just took over that half of the globe. And he was young. He died at like 33 or something years old, something like that. He just, he just came in and boom, took over the world. That's probably why it's a leopard, for speed. Why the wings? Again, maybe that's an allusion to speed also, just even more so. Four heads, though? Why four heads? Well, when Alexander died, his generals fought for his empire. And it ended up in the hands of four generals. His empire was divided between four heads, four kings. So it makes perfect sense. This falls right in line with what we know of history. I like this part of it. It says, and it was given authority to rule. By whom? By God. Because God's in charge of everything. This is hard for Christians to understand, but if we want to grow up as Christians, if we want to mature in our faith, we have to understand this. God is in charge. What I mean by that is when there's a good president, God picked him. And when there's a bad president, God picked him. When there's a good king, God picked him. And when there's an evil, bloodthirsty, murderous dictator who oppresses his people, God picked him too. You say, Steve, God would never do that. God does do that. Because if you, if you would say God never does that, then you're going to have to say God's not in charge. But listen to what the scripture says. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he was shafted because he thought he made himself king and he wouldn't give credit to God for making him king. And by the way, I'm telling you, Babylon was majestic. That doesn't mean Nebuchadnezzar was a good guy. He's the one God used to destroy Judah. Bloodthirsty, evil idolatrous, worshiping king. God appointed him. The Bible says so. The decision is announced by messengers. The Holy Ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. So then how do we reconcile a good God setting up a bad leader? It's really not that hard. If you think about it this way. God warned us from day one that there's consequences for our behavior. He chooses how he makes the consequences. When the world went so bad that there was only one good guy left, he chose a flood to destroy the world. But when Judah went so bad, after three, four hundred years, and God kept sending them prophets and they kept killing the prophets, and God decided to punish them, he didn't send a flood, he sent Babylon. That's why. And that's how. They deserve what they got. But does that mean Babylon's off the hook for its evil? No. They got the Medes and the Persians. Does that mean the Medes and the Persians are off the hook for their evil? No. They got the Greeks. Does that mean the Greeks are off the hook for their... No. They got the Romans. Does that mean the... No. As long as we walk away from God and pursue sin, expect pain and misery. We had an election cycle. Two more states, I think it was, legalized homosexual marriage, and two more states, maybe the first time ever, approved of marijuana 
as a recreational drug. We are not heading in the right direction, people. We are heading for pain. I'm telling you, it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse as long as we keep turning from God. We're doing foolish things, and we're going to end up suffering for it. God raises up good leaders, and we've had them. But he also raises up bad leaders. We've asked for them. Funny thing is, and I'm not going one way over another, so let's talk about the next president so it doesn't get personal for anybody, whether he's good or bad. You voted him into office too. So we say God did it, yes, but so did you. Kind of like God gives you a job, but you're the one who goes to work. God gives you a president, but you're the one who votes for him. And on and on it goes. All right. Let me wrap up a little bit of what we've done so far. Daniel has a vision, a dream. It's a dream vision of four beasts. Three and a half of them are our history. Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. History, done. But he has a vision of a fourth beast, which also steps into the future. We don't have time to look at that this morning. So next week, we'll get into the rest of his vision and look at our future. I already told you the big picture. The Bible gave it to us. The four beasts are four kingdoms that will arise from the earth. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. I have to explain something. That word saints. A lot of people are misinformed as to what the word saint means um, because of Roman Catholic influence. Because to them, a saint is a human being who lived an awesome life, died, and then maybe miracles were done in that person's name or something, and then the Catholic Church gets together and examines, and then appoints or verifies that person as a saint. And so to them, only special dead people are saints. But in the Bible, a saint is any sold-out follower of Jesus. Any follower of God is a true, full-blown saint. In this room, we've got a ton of saints. This morning, I'm one. Not special, just saved. I follow God. Screw up, but he's made me a saint. I didn't make myself one, he's made me one. Oh, why is my hand the only hand up? Let me see some saint hands. Thank you. Ah, two hands. All right. Excellent. But the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and forever. I don't care about Nebuchadnezzar. I don't care about Caesar. I don't care about any president of the United States. They can mess it up all they want. I know where it ends up. It's going to end up in the hands of King Jesus. And he's going to put us in a place forever and ever and ever. A good place. A land flowing with milk and honey. Streams of life. Waters. Fruits. Good times. Good place. I'm anxious for it to happen. The transition from here to there, painful or pain-free, that's entirely up to humans. But looking at our history, I'm betting on painful. And I've read the book. I know how it turns out at the end. So Daniel was given the future of the world to present to us. And we're reminded that God determines which kingdoms rise and which kingdoms fall. The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men. What I like about this isn't that so much that he lays out the future, which is awesome. 
I love the fact that God shows us that the Bible is true by laying out world history for us. And I'm really pumped about knowing that no matter how bad things get, eventually it's going to be God's kingdom done. Goodness forever. That excites me. But what really pumps me about the book of Daniel is God just shows us who he is. His power, his sovereignty, his knowledge. He knows everything that's going to happen. He appoints all the kings. There's nothing out of his control. You know, for us, we don't have it so well. Everything's out of our control. We try to control things, but man, they just... But nothing gets God by surprise. And as bad as things look, understand, God's got the steering wheel. Satan doesn't. Satan thinks he does. Don't believe him. God's got it. Don't worry about where it's heading. You know who's driving. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we are so thankful that you are God and you alone. But I'll be the first to confess that sometimes I forget and I, I step into panic mode. I don't trust your driving and I want to grab the wheel. Don't let me do that. And for my brothers and sisters here, same. Help us to trust you. And not to equate difficulties with being outside of your will. Because your will sometimes has difficulties in them. When there's a good president, let us rejoice. When there's a bad one, let us rejoice. Help us to pursue you no matter what the temporary consequences are. Always keeping our eye on the prize and the future goal. Amen. By the way, if there's anybody in here this morning who's not made a full-blown commitment to following Jesus, what are you waiting for? I'd like to urge you to do that. And here's what you'd need to do. Just say a prayer in your heart between you and God. Tell, them that you, tell Him that you do believe in Him and that you are deciding to follow Him, holding nothing back. God won't take half of you, three-quarters of you, or nine-tenths. It's all or nothing because He gives His all. For us, he sent his son to die for our sins. So he wants our full attention on our love and response. And if you're willing to believe in him and follow him, Scripture says you've been born again and you've been instantly turned into a saint.